All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by just Brian Wells. So on today's episode, Brian and I will be talking some NBA as we recap some of the biggest moves from the trade deadline and also look ahead to NBA All-Star Weekend. Brian, are we going to have another national anthem like Fergie a couple years ago? Uh, As long as they don't bring her back, we shouldn't expect that. Uh, We'll also be talking about XFL, uh, giving our reactions on the opening week. Brian, it was a long five days without football, but we made it. Yes, we did. And uh, one thing I'd like to point out is that after one game, uh, defensive coordinator Pepper Johnson was already fired from the team after just literally just one game of coaching. So I guess you can say he's now gone from Pepper Johnson to now Salty Johnson. <laughs> nice. It is a it's a cutthroat league already. So definitely uh, excited to see where it goes from here. But before we get into any of that, we're going to talk baseball. And I know that I have a Pirates logo in the uh, podcast art, but if you've been listening to a while, you know that Brian and I are both from New England, and we are also both Red Sox fans. And the past week has been a trying time for Red Sox fans as the team traded away uh, MVP winner, World Series champion, and beloved superstar, arguably the second best player in baseball, Mookie Betts, along with David Price of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you know, Brian, what is your your instant reaction to this this trade? Well, just when I thought this offseason couldn't get any worse after the cheating scandal of the sign stealing, uh, we we find out that Mookie Betts has been traded to the Dodgers. Uh, like you said, probably the best player in baseball outside of Mike Trout. Uh, my reaction to this trade is that I think David Price, for him, it was time to go. Just too much drama uh, on and off the field. I mean, outside of the 2018 World Series, he's just been a drama queen. Um, So I'm glad he's gone. Now, when it comes to Mookie Betts, even though he's, like you said, a superstar, I'm actually actually okay with the fact that they traded him um, before it was too late. Uh, because I'm not a fan of signing players to $400 million contracts. If you look around the league, there are so many players with these huge contracts that have not uh, worked out. One, We just saw last year Bryce Harper. He had that $300-plus dollar contract with the Phillies, and not only did the Phillies not make the playoffs, the Nationals ended up winning the World Series. So it's it's not like the NBA where one superstar can complete, completely change your team. Uh, so I'm fine with the fact that they moved on from him. And another reason why I was fine with it is because I'm, I don't think the Red Sox, even if they had Mookie and Price on their team this, for this season, that they were going to win, win the world series, uh, even though they have a pretty talented roster. So I'm fine. I'm actually fine with the trade, uh, of getting, uh, Verdugo and Jeter Downs, uh, the single A prospect that's eventually going to be, uh, on in the major league roster. Um, the problem that I had though from this past week was what happened beforehand where it wasn't Jeter Downs who they traded for. It was uh, Verdugo, but also this reliever or st- starter slash reliever uh, from the twins who, who's, who has a hundred mile hour fastball uh, 
to his repertoire, but he also has arm issues. He has weight issues. So then all of a sudden they had to go away from that trade and they had to get a little bit more in return. And it's just, I'm, I'm just not a fan of the dysfunction that's happening with the Red Sox front office. And I don't know uh, who exactly is in charge up there. If it's Heim Bloom or if it's John Henry or whomever, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of what, what the front office has done uh, this past week. So I, I do think you make a lot of valid points there. Uh, so I, let's start with the first piece of this. So the reports were Mookie Betts wanted a 12-year, $420 million contract from the Red Sox. And I think it would have been insane to give him that. But Betts is in a position where the only team he can negotiate with is the Red Sox. And if we're going to say he's the second-best player in baseball, isn't it fair for him to be paid like the second-best player in baseball? Now, that money rivals Mike Trout. So, is he worth exactly that much? Is it, you know, giving him a 12-year deal, it feels irresponsible. But to say that he's only worth 10 years, $300 million of what the Red Sox reportedly offered, that's that's not fair at all either. I don't blame Mookie for betting on himself at all. If If he's being perceived as one of the best players, and if not the best player outside of Mike Trout, then yeah, he should be aiming for that 400 million for 10 plus years. And I think it's absolutely fair for him to want to test the market, see just how much he's worth. That's that's why he had these high requests from the Red Sox because you know, if you're going to prevent him from doing that, then you got to pay him an insane amount of money to keep him. And, and I don't were- think that says that he doesn't want to be in Boston at all. I think that was just a case of he's someone who wants to test his free agent value and in order for him to not do that, the Red Sox were going to have to pay him way more than he knows he's worth because he doesn't want to undersell himself. So I think from that perspective, I don't blame Mookie Betts at all. I, I think that the Red Sox saying they were only going to pay him $300 million for 10 years is far below market value. They were $100 million or about $100 million off every time. Every time they gave him an offer uh, from the past years where... Uh, the Red Sox offered him 100 million, and Mookie wanted 200, and then just kept going up and up, and it got to the point where they didn't think it was worth having him on the roster anymore. And the, yeah, from that point, it's it's all about the optics to me. And it, when you're the Boston Red Sox, you're owned by Fenway Sports Group, the third richest ownership company in all of sports. Seven billion dollars, more than the New York Yankees, the team that always the evil empire always want to talk about the Yankees buying World Series. The Red Sox have more money, though. And for you to trade probably the second best player in baseball, you're talking about a guy who statistically he could be right up there with the likes of Ted Williams And when it comes to Red Sox and like where he goes down in the lore. I don't know if he'll ever have the impact as David Ortiz had on the team, given where the Red Sox were before he got there. But you're talking about one of the greatest ever to put on a Red Sox uniform. And you're going to trade him. Because you're trying to save some money long term, and I get paying those huge contracts is risky, but that seems like just as close to a surefire thing as there is. And to make up for all these horrible deals that you've signed in the past, and not even Heim Bloom, these are on Dave that, Dombrowski. But that's what that's what the problem was is that they were signing guys to really bad contracts. Look at the Chris Sale contract. I remember last season, 
coming into this coming into the year like I was fine where I wasn't panicking about the Red Sox yet but I was panicking about how Chris Sale is already not looking great and he signs this five-year contract and not he wasn't even in the contract yet he was still in his final year I didn't understand why the Red Sox couldn't just wait to play the year out and then sign him to a deal or not even sign him back and then also Nathan Evaldi that contract was pretty bad as well and I'm a fan of Evaldi I've said in the past that even if he ends up sucking the rest of his career I'm still a fan of everything he did in that 2018 postseason including game three where he wasn't even supposed to pitch but he threw over like almost 100 pitches and to the 18th inning but that contract was that was a pretty bad contract as well and having all those bad contracts kind of forced them to I mean they they could have gone over the CBT but John Henry said uh, time and time again that he wanted to get under the CBT and that, that once again comes down to this guy being this insanely rich owner for the richest team in baseball and feeling like he needs to to salary dump his best player because his all these other guys like I don't know how realistic it would have been to salary dump Nate Evaldi or Chris Sale uh, given their injury concerns. David Price has injury concerns and even he wasn't even fully a salary dump because the Red Sox had to have to pay like half of his contract uh, in order for the Dodgers to take him. So I think it's just a matter of you know what what do the Red Sox what is their goal right now because if you're if your concern is you're going to go over the luxury tax and you're going to lose draft picks you have Mookie Betts locked up for the next 10 years really you have Xander Bogarts locked up and you know I know you have these bad contracts to your pitchers but you have all these great offensive guys you know Andrew Benatendi I think they just got him two years, ten million. That's that's not a ton of that's money. A, that's a good deal for him, even though he hasn't yeah. been as great as I thought he would be for an eighth overall pick. He's that's still a good contract for someone like him. Yeah. So I mean, to me, I feel like there are ways that you can still be competitive in the near future. And the MLB draft is a crapshoot. There are so many guys. Just because you're drafted high doesn't mean that. Oh you're yeah, going it doesn't matter if you're drafting first overall or. I mean, in the Cubs and Astros standpoints from the past few years they work for them but it doesn't always turn out that way sometimes the number one overall pick doesn't even make the majors no and there are plenty of times where these guys don't work out in the end or you find guys that come out of nowhere not even highly touted prospects and they end up making a big impact in the MLB level so I understand part of the reason why the Red Sox felt like trading Mookie Betts was the best thing to do from an opting standpoint it's horrible and I think even if the Red Sox weren't looking like they would be World Series contenders in 2020 because there were too many question marks. They still have a ton of talent on the team. There's still plenty of reason to think that they could find their way into the playoff picture. I mean, you look at last year's team, they went 84 and 78. But if a you bit compare, of a World Series hangover. There was, too but if, if you compare the team from the year before that won 108 games to the team that won 84 games, that wasn't... A significant difference they had bad injury luck they had just like a lot of things go wrong with that team and I think the 108 win team overachieved the 84 win team underachieved there's no reason that the Red Sox couldn't come back and win another 92 games and potentially make the playoffs so and beyond that it's like even if the 2020 team isn't great you could have Mookie Betts for 2021 2022 2023 2024 to me the only way that this is a good trade 
is if one of Alex Verdugo, Connor Wong, or Jeter Downs becomes a perennial MVP candidate. Because that's what the Red Sox gave up. This wasn't just a case of a, a bad contract or any thing like this is like a team that doesn't make a ton of money and they they can't afford to pay their best player this was the perennial mvp candidate that the red sox were blessed to have made them a world series champion it would continue to make them a ton of money in the years to come if you're gonna trade him you got to get back a guy that's just as good as him or they need to re-sign him in the offseason and you know if that happens and Awesome for Bloom to be able to get three prospects for him. Just say we're going to have a bit of a loss year and bring him back anyway. Yeah, I don't, that would be I don't, fantastic. I don't think, but I don't think that's as, realistic. I don't think they rolled this Chapman trade with the Yankees and Cubs is where where the Yankees that's traded. An outlier. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's going to happen again. Unfortunately, no. So uh, to me, it just seems like this is a trade the Reds are going to lose in the end. And you know, maybe down the road when some of these contracts come off the books and you know they're they're able to replace these guys with players of higher value um, to higher contracts maybe things will be great then and we'll kind of forget about what was given up for Mookie Betts but it, it just doesn't feel like it's going to be easy anytime soon I think the f- biggest thing I hate the the thing I hate the most about this situation is not not the trade itself is that they, they that they put themselves into this situation because they could have signed bets if they and be under the CBT if they didn't sign those horrible contracts with with Chris Sale and Avaldi and, and and others. Yeah, so uh, a couple years ago, uh, it was one of the I believe it was the second episode of the Ben and Corey podcast. So Ben and I, when we first started this out, we had a segment that was. Um, my show my team and uh, basically just gave us an opportunity to talk about our own personal teams even if they weren't necessarily in the national spotlight uh, just an opportunity to give our thoughts on them and I talked about the Red Sox signing JD Martinez so this was before the 2018 season and it's probably kind of funny looking back on it but I did say that you know maybe he'll be an MVP candidate who helps lead the Red Sox to win the World Series which he did or maybe he'll go down like every other free agent that the Red Sox pay big money to because the last success before J.D. Martinez was Manny Ramirez in 2001. Just year after year, whether it was Theo Epstein or Ben Sherrington, they're handing out all these massive contracts to other teams' players, and they show up to Boston, and it just doesn't work out. And it just feels like that's how the Red Sox have always operated. So now when you have this homegrown talent who he's going to be the face of the franchise for the foreseeable future, and you trade him because you don't want to pay him, and now we're talking about, oh, well, maybe they'll pay someone else down the line, someone outside the organization probably. It's just That just hasn't been the way the Red Sox win the World Series. I mean, even the 2013 team that relied on free agents, <laughs> Shane Victorino, like he was probably the biggest it, signing. and That was probably the biggest fluke World Series. Out of, like, out of the four that they've won, Like that was probably the flukiest out of the four. Yeah, like, it was just everything came together like really well for that team, and it didn't rely on them paying – guys 150 million dollars over seven years i mean when, when the david price trade or signing first one down i was not a fan of that i, I wasn't that was either an insane amount just knowing the red sox history that wasn't going to work out he helped him win the world series in 2018 absolutely got to give him credit for that but outside of that i mean if he had his playoff struggles he hasn't been able to stay healthy on the field i'm not upset that he's gone 
I, I think it's great that the Red Sox were able to get rid of his contract. I hate that it took giving up Mookie Betts to do that, but I think that was kind of important to being able to reset this team. And I just wish that they could have done something similar with some of the other big contracts that weren't looking great, even if it just meant a salary dump, even if it meant you know getting back no pieces just to get out of those contracts and just start over. Because that's part of what happened in 2013. Remember the 2012 team when they traded Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and Josh, Josh Beckett, Beckett. Just yeah. dumped all those guys to the Dodgers. No one they got back, I think, gave it was any it was kind of it was those three Sox. for like James Loney and and yeah, yeah it was literally just a salary think, dump. Just take your just take a few these bad leagues. contracts and let's move on. Yeah, and the 2012 team was terrible, and the 2013 team somehow won a World Series. And yeah, maybe you could say it was fluky. The 2014 and 15 teams were last place both years, but they were able to do that deal and. Yeah, it kind of sucked getting rid of some of those guys. Adrian Gonzalez, probably the the biggest one. They were able to pull it off. And they were able to turn themselves into a contender moving forward. And they were able to use their prospect system and the draft, whether it was those guys seeing them actually contribute at the major league level for the Red Sox or flipping them into other players that ultimately built a 2018 World Series championship team. And... I don't know how realistic that is. You know, I would assume if it was possible to just ship out sale of Aldi and Price and not, you know, have to pay much or it, any of their salary, it would have happened, right? But Yeah, it would have been much better to get rid of those contracts than you know, than to it, trade it just feels yeah, and it, I feel like the there's a lot of Red Sox fans that are trying to say that, you know, Mookie Betts was wasn't going to sign with the team. He didn't want to be a Boston. Yeah, I'll admit I trade him. I don't think he wanted to, but I'm not basing that on anything he's said or any media member has said. I'm just doing basing that on gut that I don't think he wanted I think to he there. just wanted to make as much money as possible. And that too. And if it was from the too. Red Sox, it would have been from the Red Sox. And I, I can't blame him on that. I really can't because you know baseball is a sport where you can play it for a really long time at a really high level or you know things can happen. And you know, we've seen a lot of guys signed to big contracts and things don't work out for them long term but you know you gotta love like albert pujols i'm sure he's really happy he signed a 12-year deal instead of like a five year deal miguel cabrera who signed to like 2023 or something absurd so all those guys and i don't blame like mookie betts for for wanting to be paid like uh those guys or even more you know wanting to manny machado 10 for 300 mookie betts is better than manny machado yep so why would he take a 10 for 300 deal no, 10 for 350 would have been totally fine. So, mm-hmm. and it, you know, if the Red Sox didn't want to pay that, it, that's such a horrible visual look. I and wish they could come out and just be honest and say, yeah, like this is this year's kind of kind of going to be a lost year, but we're looking we're looking more into the long term rather than the short term right now. I wish they can just be honest and say that this season, yeah, it's kind of lost, and we we got to move on. We got to. I don't want to say rebuild because they're kind of a talented team already, but look more ahead into like 2021 rather than this year. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Sox are well, – actually, I'd be surprised if the Red Sox aren't a playoff contender. I don't think this is going to be a team that finds themselves way out of it. I think they're going to compete. There are other teams in the American League that look really strong, in particular the Yankees, uh, and not having Mookie Betts is going to be difficult for this team to get themselves at that level. But I think it's it's really frustrating. There are too many question marks now, how I feel about their playoff chances. I mean, it's not just losing 
Mookie in a trade, but it's also you have questions with the starting rotation because you don't know how long Sale, Avaldi, or whomever is how long they're gonna last. And and then all of us, and then also Alex Cora also just got fired. Now Ron Renicki, yeah, the, they're interim. Yeah, Ron Renicki sounds like he's officially. Yeah, I, I I don't know right now either. Um, I haven't even been able to process that to this point. All I know is I'm usually really excited for baseball season to start, and I want to be excited for this season, but it's just so hard to be because no. <laughs> the Red Sox, after doing this, and the Pirates, they, are they're they, a mess of their own right now. So They 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 fire their manager, they trade their best player away, player away and they increase their ticket prices. I'm not exactly sure how to Yeah, we didn't even talk for... about that aspect of it. You're going to expect fans to pay more, and you're going to take away <laughs> pay the Pay more for, for a worse product. <laughs> But you know, one one uh, positive news from the Red Sox today they they uh, helped replace Mookie Betts by signing Kevin Pillar. It sounds like so he's gonna come in be uh, the fourth outfielder for that team, give him a nice righty outfielder that they've yeah. been lacking. Sports Center top ten uh, highlight reel, and we got on our team now. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Pillar is not always, even the same. Kevin Pillar is not even just... the same defensive center fielder he used to be. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so uh, let's stick with baseball for a little bit longer, and let's talk about Rob Manfred. And he has this, this new wacky uh, proposal of what the MLB playoffs could look like as early as 2022. And this idea that we're going to expand to seven teams in both leagues, add two more wild cards, meaning 14 out of the 30 teams to make the playoffs, and uh, it gets even better. We're going to have a reality TV show format to choose who we're going to play in the first round. So what are your what are your thoughts on this? The only thing I like about this is that MLB is thinking outside the box on how to improve the the playoffs and if they expand it from 10 to 14, I guess there'll be less teams that will tank if if the playoffs expand, but outside of that I'm not really a fan of it. Uh, just like just looking into it, uh, it, it seems just way too complicated. Where yeah, like they have a reality show where the teams the, there will be two teams that get a buy, but then all of a yeah. sudden the next three best out of each American and National League they get to choose their opponents. I'm not really a fan of that just because whoever the teams choose, you just know the opponent is just gonna say like, oh, you you guys don't respect us. Well, we'll show you it's bulletin it just, board material. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of that. It, it's it's not me. And another thing I don't like about this is that it's it'll be a best two out of three wild card round. I one of the best things that baseball has come up with is that one game playoff. I I I love the one game wild card playoff. Even though the first time that they had it, it screwed you over being a Pirates fan. Where well, not Pirates the first time, but yeah, oh, okay, wasn't okay, it was yeah, twenty fourteen and fifteen, right? Where the Pirates and Cubs face each other and the pirates end up losing but i do love the wild card uh playoff where it, there's a lot of drama in in those games and that's what baseball needs here they need less games but they need a, more drama in their games as well yeah so i think you know, one thing you mentioned is like less teams would tank well the nba has 16 out of 30 make the playoffs and tanking isn't doesn't seem like it's going away in the nba anytime soon and that's a league where rookies and like superstar players can actually make a significant impact. In baseball, it doesn't happen. You know, teams just don't have the incentive to spend money. 
And you look at the Milwaukee Brewers. They're shedding all this money. They lost Yadamani Grandal and Mike Moussakis. And there's a reason to believe that they could be a playoff team. So wouldn't adding two more teams give them even less incentive to spend more money? Thinking, oh, we have Christian Yelich, you know, we have Josh Hader, we have a, a few other decent players on the roster. Even though we don't want to pay some of our best players, we can still sneak into the playoffs as a the sixth best team and I, hope for the best. I mean, in the NBA, well, you can tank, and if you get one of those top five picks, like you're getting a, an awesome pick. But if you're outside of the top five or ten guys, it doesn't matter who your draft pick is. And then we've talked about how in baseball, where it kind of does the 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 draft is kind of a crapshoot already. So, I think I think I think more teams will would try if they expanded it to fourteen. And I mean, we saw just last season the a wild card team won the World Series, uh, and it gave it gave one of those teams a chance to win. Uh, yeah. So I I have no issue with the wild card. Uh, now, in terms of talking about the current format. I, I go back and forth all the time when it comes to the one-game playoff versus the best of three because I think it's kind of insane to play 162 regular season games and then have your postseason be over after just one more. But at the same time, I, I agree that it does really bring out this great atmosphere to this game just like both teams have their aces going up against each other and uh, like all the strategy involved like the the teams pulling out the all the stops to win um but i i I do think there would be value in doing the best two out of three i just think that well you just said that you don't like that after 162 games their season comes down to just one game well and then if you change the format it'll become well it comes down to two or three games i don't i mean yeah, I mean, I, is I it like the more. I like what you just said—the strategy and the drama that's involved in these one-game playoffs. So I think realistically, we're going to see expansion in Major League Baseball. We're going to get to 32 teams. At that point, I'd be okay with 12 teams getting in. Uh, you know, maybe have four divisions, eight teams each, and you have buys for the the division winner, and then you have two wild cards per division, or just four wild cards per league. However, they want to do it, and have the wild cards maybe do a best two out of three, and then the divisional series starts up just as normal, and you continue from there. Uh, but in terms of this proposal, fourteen, it's just it feels like you're devaluing a regular season that's already so long. And like non baseball fans say, hundred sixty two games, that's so many games. Well, if you're a fan of the sport and you really care, all those games feel meaningful because of how few teams actually can make it to the playoffs. And even though like you can look back and say, oh, yeah, that loss on June 15th didn't matter. At the time on June 15th, you're three games out of first place. You really want to win this game. And as a fan, it feels heartbreaking to lose and feels amazing to win it. So I think if you're all of a sudden at the point where it's like, yeah, you know, who really cares? Like, oh, we can get a bye if we're the best team. But hey, guess what? This team that went 82 and 80, they finished with a seventh best record in the league. They get a shot in the playoffs and all of a sudden they get hot. And next thing we know, we have a World Series between an 87 win team and an 82 win team. Is that really better for baseball? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, not really. I mean, there are times where you just want to see the two best teams fight it out for the the title, but then and it sometimes it there's a good even underdog. It doesn't have to be that. Yeah, it, every now and then having those good underdogs, like the Nationals last year, but even then, they were they're an underdog as a wild card, but they're still a really really good team. Now all of a sudden we're opening the doors for more mediocre teams to. That's that's why make I don't want the. And, 
that's why I don't want the NFL playoffs expanded. Because like even with twelve teams, like there'll be sometimes that crappy wild card game or a couple crappy wild card teams where you just don't want any reason to watch. You don't you don't want to watch this game or see either of these teams advance. So in football, I want no, I don't want any of it changed. But in baseball, I mean, I think I think the problem with baseball is that it doesn't. This new playoff system, it doesn't fix what the real problem is with baseball. It's the real problem is is the pace of play and the long season and I mean whenever it comes to the postseason, these games end up being like four to sometimes five hours long. It's just it's just way too long, way too much. That's what's the real problem with baseball. Not that not that their postseason is is bad or anything. I don't mind it's it thinking about young it. Young fans excited. And it just feels like Rob Manfred's trying to do all the wrong things, and he's not addressing the real issue. Is so that one thing? Social media. When you look at you know NBA, NFL, Twitter accounts, as soon as plays happen, there the team is showing them. So as a fan, you can follow along, you can rewatch plays, or if you're not able to watch the game for whatever reason, you can see like. You can watch the the Celtics. It's like really cool three pointer. That's that's you know, another I, thing. I can watch the Steelers pick up a big first down yeah, right that, as it happens. That's another thing with baseball is that they don't market their star players well enough, like football or basketball. No, wait, wait, beyond that, it's like just uh, in baseball. If if there's a a big grand slam gets hit, you're not the team accounts and you know all the different major social media platforms aren't allowed to post video for like 30 minutes or so after so all of a sudden this is kind of irrelevant now when you're watching it it's like oh i mean this is kind of cool but they're losing again so who cares and i just feel like that that's a big way that you're just not able to have these interactions with fans immediately on social media and it, it that's just a big part of it and then it goes into marketing as well and I think part of the problem is that baseball is a regional sport. It it just it's a sport where the best players in the league they only get to bat once every two or three innings. Yeah, the best the, pitchers only pitch once every five or six games. So in, in in basketball, the star player is out there for forty minutes a game and plays plays on offense and defense. And then in football, even though the star players they're not playing both offense and defense, they're out there half the time and are a big part of the game but like yeah like but in baseball they bat once every nine times and sometimes they don't even do anything with their at bat yeah and with, with baseball it's it's like such a long tradition i mean the sport's been around for 150 years and it's just so hard for a lot of fans who really care about the sport to want to see major changes to it and I mean, I, I wish I'm, Ben. I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan. I want to see more. I want to see the game evolve. Well, okay, or have changes. You your changes are like they're more minor though. They're not these like major things. You don't want to see like I'll admit, in terms mine, of like mine is more on the timing. I'll, yeah, I'll admit. it's like the the individual game flow. You're not talking about a giant change to the sport itself, which right. is like more of what I, we're I've heard. Seeing. I've heard ideas in terms of picking in terms of uh, picking up the pace. I've heard like three balls and two strikes, like not a full count, like three balls, take your base, two strikes, you're mm, out, and seven yeah. innings. Like, I, I'm not a fan of that, but I, but no. I want these games to go a little bit more quicker. Well, the game they, flow, game flow. They're making it so pitchers have to throw a minimum three batters when they mm-hmm. they come in. So, 
I don't know how I feel about that one. I think you're kind of setting yourself up for something real bad when guys just really don't have it. But that would be one way to speed it up because you're not having a new pitcher come in every single at-bat. I, I want, yeah, pitch clocks. I want l- less timeouts in the middle of at-bats. I, don't, I, I hate that. Yeah, all, all my issues are with the game flow, I'll admit. Yeah, it makes it hard to watch. You know, I we said on a, a recent episode that uh, we love watching baseball games in person. It's not as fun on TV, but part of what makes it great in person is how slow it is, and how you can really just be there, just enjoying the atmosphere, and doesn't feel like you have to be staring at the, you know, the the field the entire time, yeah. afraid that you're going to miss something. Exactly. So. I don't know. Part of me at the same time is kind of thinking that this is this is all nonsense. It's not something that's going to happen. It's just Rob Manfred's way of distracting from the whole. One thing I was just going to say. One thing I hate about this is, or or another thing I hate about this is the timing. I feel like they're they're bringing this idea up just so we can focus less on the black guy in baseball with the uh, the sign stealing from the Astros and maybe the Red Sox, and focus on something positive by. Talking about, hey, what about this postseason idea that we got or changes that we? Yeah, I mean, I think of. I think that's absolutely it. It's uh, it's getting people to talk about the sport without talking about the bad stuff that's going on right now. So, we'll see. I mean, I said 2022 is when this would happen, so it's not like this is something we have to start planning for this season or even next season. And I would be surprised if it goes through, just given all the bad reaction in its face, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we've definitely spent a lot of time talking about new baseball uh, potential changes, and uh, I'm sure that some of these stuff we're actually going to start seeing sooner than later. So we can talk about that more as the time comes. For now, let's move on and talk about the NBA, and let's talk about the NBA trade deadline. So we had a lot of big trades go down in the, the days and hours before uh, last Thursday's deadline. One of the bigger trades was a big trade in the sense that there were a lot of teams and players involved. Four teams, 12 players, uh, one of the, the largest deals in the past uh, 15 or 20 years. So I think the big highlights are Clint Capella going from the Rockets to the Hawks and Robert Covington going from the Timberwolves to the Rockets. So as part of that, Houston is taking a small ball to an extreme. Very, very small ball, Yes. Yeah, the point where a six seven Robert Covington is like the the biggest player <laughs> like on their, their center. Team. Like PJ Tucker is playing center. So that being said, they beat the Lakers with that small ball lineup in Los Angeles. So, what are your thoughts on Houston's uh, radical approach to to finally getting themselves uh, over the edge and uh, winning a championship? <laughs> I mean, at this point, with the way they the way the Houston Rockets play basketball which is really just this iso ball and giving it to Harden and Westbrook and let them score and not even play that much defense just their defense is literally just more offense just keep scoring and scoring and so maybe Capella doesn't really have that the best offensive game for what their system is so just playing extreme small ball and following what the Warriors kind of did with having their leaning on their backcourt and and not much of a frontcourt uh, is there a way of doing things? So I don't know. I don't, I don't know how sustainable it is. I mean, yeah, like, okay, they beat the Lakers in a regular season game. How is that going to work in the, the playoffs? 
Yeah, I don't think it's a recipe for success. I mean, you look at look at the Western Conference, and you have the Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic and the Jazz with Rudy Gobert. How are they going to be able to stop those guys? They won't be able and, to. Yeah, I mean, maybe they can get lucky with a couple of games against some of these teams, but it just doesn't seem like a winning formula for this Houston team. But to this point, they've been able to win games. They beat the Dallas Mavericks when they became the first team since 1963 to start no players taller than six foot six. And Chris Porzingis had a great game against them. He was, I think he had like 35 points on 12 of 20 shooting, but they still beat the Mavericks in that game. So maybe it's something that can be somewhat successful. Um, I, I know that there have been talks of a Clint Capella trade for a while now. Feels like ever since they signed him to their, their deal, they've been looking to trade him. Now he goes to Atlanta. The Hawks aren't looking very good this year, but Maybe there's reason for them to be feeling optimistic about the future now that they brought him in. Yeah, the, the Hawks aren't going to do anything this year, but having someone in their front court, uh, along with uh, Collins and uh, and Trey Young, like who's you know a up and rising star, that's good for their future. I mean, yeah, but they're not going to do anything this season. No, the, the East is terrible enough that Atlanta. It does kind of feel like they could have an opportunity. to maybe sneak in the playoffs next year probably need to add a few more veterans make some moves but trey young john collins that's uh those are pretty solid young guys kevin hoarder as well so i i do think that atlanta has some uh opportunities to gain from this and clint capella signed for a few more years i think it makes way more sense for them to trade for a guy than clint capella than say andre drummond who was moved from the detroit pistons to the cleveland cavaliers for Brandon Knight, John Henson, and a second-round pick. And my immediate reaction is, what's the point? I was thinking the exact same thing. I don't, I don't know what either team was thinking or, or what their plan is. I mean, maybe Detroit, they're just tanking. But Cleveland, I'm not sure. Like, Are they even going to sign him back <laughs> after the season ends? I, I don't know because – so Drummond has a player option for next year. And the belief was he would decline that option from Detroit. That's why the Pistons want to trade him, get some kind of value for him. But then I was hearing, oh, the Pistons wanted to get rid of him because they were afraid he would opt in. So, so your best player. So why? What? Are, yeah, like what? I'm, I'm confused. Like, do they want him or do they not want him? Like, did, and I, obviously they didn't because they didn't get really anything back for him. And you know, they, you say like, oh, would you rather lose him for nothing? It's like. I mean, did you really gain much out of this? I guess the Cleveland second-round pick is going to be pretty high and close to a first-round pick. But... I mean, we talked about Mookie Betts where trading him, okay, they got they got a couple prospects back, one already probably ready in the majors and one not ready yet, but you got two promising prospects in return for this trade, though. I don't know. I don't know what their plan is. I don't know. No, and I, I would think from Cleveland's perspective that locking up Andre Drummond makes sense for them. You know, they've had Tristan Thompson as their center, and I think it'd be very reasonable for them to move on. Drummond is an upgrade. He's someone who you're all like, he's going to average a 2010 a night kind of guy. Uh, but with the Cavs, it, you know, they are a few pieces away from getting back into serious contention. But as we just said with the Hawks, maybe it's not impossible to to be able to find yourselves in the Eastern Conference playoff picture next year uh, if they make a couple moves. And, you know, Colin Sexton isn't yeah. trading on. I don't, I, don't but... <laughs> I don't know what the Cavs' plan is, having Sexton, Garland, and then Kevin Love, who 
has been in trade rumors for a very long time now, who's still on their roster. I don't I don't know what the Cavs are what their exact plan is going forward. No, I, I think that this is a trade that's still gonna be a little perplexing to me and I think we'll we'll see how we're talking about it in July when NBA free agency starts and we, we see what happens with Drummond. Uh, but yeah, for now, I think that this was a, it was not surprising to see Drummond traded, but seeing him traded to the Cavs for basically nothing was surprising. So uh, beyond that, uh, another player who the, there were talks of him being traded immediately when he arrived, took all the way till the night before the trade deadline, but Andre Godala was finally moved from the Memphis Grizzlies to the Miami Heat along with Jay Crowder and... I think uh, there's uh, the immediate question is, did Iguodala screw over Memphis? You know, how should we feel about Iguodala and what he he did finessing that team? And then there's a the question of what what value does he really bring to Miami at this point? I wasn't a fan of what he did to Memphis. Just sitting, just sitting all those games, uh, just to just to be traded and kind. Of, yeah, he screwed over the Grizzlies and. I wasn't really a fan of it. Now, for Miami's perspective, I think he could help him uh, definitely on the defensive end of the floor. I think he, and along with Crowder, puts him in that conversation for... I don't want to say they're going to be in the NBA Finals, but I think that Miami he could be in that conversation along with the Celtics and the Raptors, along with the favorite, of course, the Bucks, who are very likely going to be in the Finals. I think they'll be contending, with at least in the second round, in my opinion. Yeah, so you know, in terms of talking about Iguodala, I, I get why when you're 36 years old, you've been playing for the Golden State Warriors, you've been to the NBA Finals five years in a row, you don't want to go play for a Memphis Grizzlies team that has been in, in the lottery the past two years. But Memphis came out, they've been playing really good. and Memphis has been better than I playoffs. expected. Yeah, I mean, they're the eight seed right now. Maybe they stay there, maybe they don't. But... There, there could have been reason for him to come out there and actually play. And I don't blame guys like John Morant and Dylan Brooks for being frustrated about this guy not wanting to play with them because that's just disrespectful to them when they're like, "Hey, we're John out Morant's here. a rookie. We're winning games. Yeah, we're we're playing at a high level, and you still don't want to play with us. All right, get out of here. We can't wait for you to be gone. We can't wait to face you and uh, wherever you end up." So Memphis gets Justice Winslow out of it. He's a guy who I think has been fairly disappointing. Uh, and I remember hearing that the, Danny the Celtics Ainge wanted to, to trade. Make, I think what four first round picks? Yeah, something like that, just to yeah, get him, just to move which, up a little um, bit to get him. Yeah, right? it would have been insane looking back on it if they actually did it, just knowing what Justice Winslow has turned into. But I do think he has he has some value for that Memphis team. On the flip side, though, I do agree with you that this acquiring Iguodala and Crowder is only going to benefit the Heat. Jimmy Butler has been awesome for this team, and I didn't expect Miami to be that great. I thought they would make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, more I, by default. I had them as like a anything. seven or eight seed. Coming yeah, the year. but they've they've actually been really solid, and I agree with you that it seems reasonable to believe that they can make it to the second round. Now, the Bucks are they're far and away the best team in the East right now. But those two for two through six teams with Boston, Toronto, Miami, Philly, and Indiana. They're all kind of in a similar range where you can really see them ending up. You in can any see of those them making slots. a run, but you also see the issues on each team. One of them's going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the fact of the matter. So 
Miami put themselves in a position where they're improving their chances. And you're talking about a team that seemed like they were in a really bad spot, how uh, they went from 11-30 and 30 to 41-41 and 41 a few years ago, this remarkable turnaround, but then from there decided to pay all of the players who helped get them there, probably overpay a lot of them, really put themselves in like this really difficult position, but they've been able to turn things around this year. And uh, you know, bringing in Jimmy Butler has really helped with that. But I do... I do think that for Miami, just given uh, looking at some of the other teams, I don't think that they're the second most talented team in the East. I think that they have reason to believe they can compete. They've been able to beat some of those teams, but I don't think that this is anything that really puts them over the top in this conference. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really put them over top over the top, but it, it puts them in the conversation a little bit more than yeah, it does. I think it, it makes them in a better contender status, but. Uh, maybe part of it is just looking at Milwaukee and saying, can this team really compete with Milwaukee because I mean, of Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder? I don't think so. They, they were, like you said, they were in that two to six range with the Celtics, Raptors, Pacers, and Sixers. But they were probably at the lower part of that range before this trade. Now that they're after the trade, I think, like we've said uh, multiple times already, that we can see them in the second round and possibly the Eastern Conference Finals. Getting a two or three seed would be huge compared to a four or five, because that means you get to avoid Milwaukee until the Eastern Conference Finals instead of having to play in the conference semis. So for those five teams, that's going to be really important to try to get in that two, two, three range. Miami, they made a move. The other teams really didn't do too much. You know, the, the Sixers acquired Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks from the Warriors, which, you know, that's something. It helps their but, bench, but doesn't help their uh, chemistry issues that they have right now. No, it doesn't. So... We'll see uh, in terms of what this does for Miami. I think they would have been in much better shape if they were able to pull uh, pull off a trade for Danilo Gallinari of the Thunder as well. And I think not getting that done, it's kind of taken a bit of a hit on how optimistic I am about that team moving forward. How do you feel about the Celtics not doing anything again at the trade deadline? I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. Just because I think they would have had to move. Well, Davis Bert Davis mo- Bertans was that the- would have been a great deal if they could pull that off. I'm glad that they didn't move Gordon Hayward just to get a center uh, who I, could have I, potentially disrupted the chemistry. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean Hayward obviously with the injury hasn't been as great as we thought he'd be by now. But to just get rid of him for yeah a better big man. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I would have felt about it. And no. And also another thing with Bert Bertans trading him for two first round picks. It sounds like a lot, but those first round picks, if you put names to them, they really end up being really not much of anything. So I would have been a, I would have been okay with it, but then at the same time he also would have been like the eighth man in their rotation and he would have left after the season. Yeah, I mean, the 26th and 30th pick for Bertans, who he's a big man who can shoot. I think he would have been a solid fit for this team. Yeah. Um, But we'll see. I think that there could be a lot of benefit in them trying to get a a big man off the the buyout. But that hasn't happened to this point. Tristan Thompson was a name that I'd heard about, but he's still with the Cavs. So they're going to have to hope that changes with that. They're going to have to hope that Robert Williams comes back uh, to help their. 
their front court along with Cantor. Yeah, I just I just don't think that this this team can compete with this, the the uh, Bucks. I don't think they can compete with the Sixers. They can very easily avoid the Sixers in the playoffs, but it's going to be way more challenging. To I think avoid I the think Bucks without uh, losing early. I think they can compete with the Sixers, but it's really just a fight for second. Uh, for in the yeah, East. I mean that's, the that's what it are, feels like. The Bucks are far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference. So, uh, two more trades worth going over. Uh, let's start with a, a slightly smaller one, and that is the Clippers acquiring Marcus Morris from the New York Knicks. Three-team trade also involved Washington with Jerome Robinson sent to the Wizards, Isaiah Thomas going to the Clippers, who was uh, waived by the team. And for the Knicks, they get a first-round pick out of this. So they got some value from Marcus Morris. And for the Clippers, I think adding Morris is a huge victory for this team because not only do they add a solid guy who has playoff experience, but it keeps him from going to the Lakers. Yeah, that's probably my favorite trade uh, out of all the trades that happened at the deadline. The Clippers, yeah, it's it's really them and the Lakers uh, to fight for the in the West for the finals. And yeah, adding adding someone like him to their bench, a, a bench that's already really good, if not the best bench in the league, with Lou Williams and and Montrezl Harrell. Having yes, Morris was someone who's a three and D wing, who has that playoff experience is is huge for them. And like you said, him not going to Lakers as well. Yeah, so I, I think uh, for the Clippers, their biggest issue this year has been uh, injury related, and from that chemistry as well you know when Kawhi Leonard he's had load management Paul George has missed time with injuries I think when the Clippers are healthy to me they're the best team in the Western Conference maybe even better than the Bucs is the best team in the league but they haven't had that and that's why they find themselves consistently second third fourth in the Western Conference when you look at the standings uh but to me being able to get a guy like Marcus Morris keep him from going to the Lakers that's a huge win for this team and and when you look at the Lakers, they didn't make any big moves. You know, they're talking about bringing in J.R. Smith. Darren Collison decided he didn't want to come out of retirement to play for either the Lakers or the Clippers. So when you talk about the Clippers right now, they made the, the big move of the offseason by getting Kawhi Leonard. They beat the Lakers twice, both times they played in the regular season, and they got Marcus Morris at the deadline. That's three wins for the Clippers to this point. Um, and I think that puts them in best the best position to make it out of the West if we're talking just straight up Lakers versus Clippers. Yeah, I would favor if I had to pick right this second, I would favor the Clippers over the Lakers right now. Yes, and that is not just a anti-Lakers bias. No, I, it's not. I I sincerely believe that the Clippers, even though in the standings right now it doesn't look that, look that way, but I think the Clippers. I think they can make it to the finals, and if everyone can get healthy, like you said, the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard—they've both haven't been together for very long. At the same time, we've seen at points this season where George is hurt or Kawhi is hurt. Uh, just they haven't, like you like you said, they haven't had that on-court chemistry uh, perfected yet. So I I think by the end, the Clippers will uh, beat the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is a little bit of an anti-Lakers bias coming from me, admittedly. But uh, I did pick the Clippers to win the West before the season started. Well, it's not, not an, it's not anti-Lakers. Too. It's also anti-LeBron as well. Anti-LeBron. I mean, yeah, that's that's my problem with the the Lakers. It's LeBron. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the Clippers, even without being the one seed, I think they have a ton of talent and they're, they're going to be a tough team to, to win a series, even if the other team has home court advantage and, uh, adding Morris only helps that. So finally, uh, the, the trade, I think that grabbed the most headlines, uh, was actually one between the two worst teams in the Western conference. When you look at the standings and that was D'Angelo Russell, going from the Golden State Warriors to the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for Andrew Wiggins and a 2021 first-round pick. So when I first saw this, I mean, I wasn't surprised that D'Angelo Russell was a potential trade candidate because you know, when Clay Thompson was hurt and it was just Curry and Russell, that made sense. But when Thompson when it's, when it's comes Curry, back, Thompson, and D'Angelo, where does, yeah, how are does, they does Clay move together? to the three or does D'Angelo come off the bench? What exactly what exactly happens there yeah so i'm not shocked that the warriors moved russell uh, i kind of expected them to wait until the uh off season to do it uh it, at least i was surprised i'm not surprised return. that he didn't last his entire contract there i was surprised no, how early he got traded though yeah i mean signed a four-year deal he was traded after just half a year but he goes to minnesota gets to play with his buddy carl anthony towns who was not happy about robert covington being traded to houston so I think that's a solid trade for the Timberwolves when they're just trying to keep their superstar center happy and they're trying to build a team that can be competitive because they've made the playoffs one time since 2004. And the Is guy it really that there low? Wow. Just one time. <laughs> and Jimmy Butler was the reason why, and he's long gone at this point. So I think that's a good move for Minnesota. Looking from Golden State's perspective. So... I was surprised they didn't get a, the Minnesota 2020 first-round pick. I know this draft doesn't look that great, but I do wonder is, like, say they got the fifth pick in the draft this year, wouldn't that have higher value than, say, if Minnesota actually becomes pretty decent and they're picking at the bottom of the lottery or even outside of the lottery in 2021? I don't know anything about the 2021 draft, but it's hard for me to believe that, say, like the 13th in the pick next, 13th pick next year isn't better than, say, the fifth pick this year or the sixth pick, whatever pick it ends up being. Um, but the Andrew Wiggins aspect of it as well was a little alarming just because Andrew Wiggins is, he's looked at as one of the worst contracts in the NBA. A guy who signed this big deal as a former number one overall pick, all about what he could be rather than what he was. And at first, I, I was really questioning that, uh, the, the Warriors bringing him in. Then I thought about it. So Wiggins was always asked to be the number number one, number two, maybe number three guy the entire time he was in Minnesota. Golden State, he's going to be asked to be no better than the number three guy, maybe even number four or number five, to, depending on where things go next year. Because you're going to have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. And those are two guys that you're talking about, the one of the best one-two punches in the league. And you have Draymond Green, who even though he makes a bigger force on the defensive and rebounding end, he's still someone you got to worry about. So to me, I think adding Andrew Wiggins, this is a chance to really revitalize his career. And even if it's in the Harrison Barnes role, the Warriors won 67 games and won an NBA Finals with Harrison Barnes. And I think that there's plenty of reason to believe that Andrew Wiggins can have the same kind of impact. That's basically everything I was going to say. Where I, I actually like the trade for both teams, but... I favor it towards Golden State because, like everything you just said, uh, Andrew Wiggins, he doesn't have to play in that number one or, well, number two role after Towns. 
but he can be if he can be in that number three role on offense and uh, I guess number four on closer on defense. I I think Wiggins can thrive uh, on a Warriors roster that has Clay and Steph back next season, uh, along with Draymond, who hasn't been very good this year, but for good reason. Without without those two guys, he can't really do much offensively. And, and then when you add along the the pick that they're going to have in the draft in this Could upcoming be number one overall, they have the worst record in the league right now. Yeah, it would have been gross if it was last season and Zion was coming up and they end up getting yeah. the number one pick. That would have been unbelievable. But I, either way, I I, th- I like I like what the Warriors did with getting Wiggins, even with that bad yeah, contract. So, um, I got a, a bit of a bold take, but I do want to come out and get in front of it now. Uh, so I think that because of this trade, crying, acquiring Andrew Wiggins, when Steph Curry, Clay Thompson are healthy next year, you got Draymond Green in the fold, potentially James Wiseman as center. Warriors are going to be able to find more pieces. They're going to be attractive. The Warriors will be in the Western Conference Finals in 2021. Not going to come out and say they're going to win the West or win the Finals, but I'm going to say they're at least going to be in that Final Four next I, year. I mean, that's a better bold prediction than my bold prediction this season when I said, oh, the Warriors are going to make the West Finals this year. And then two, yeah. week, two or three weeks into the season, when Steph Curry breaks his wrist, uh, that, that take just goes into flames. So that's a better bold call than mine. Because well, we'll I was, bank, I was uh, banking on Clay coming back and and having Steph healthy in an entire year and not yeah. breaking his wrist and and, and still be, and the Warriors still being good. I, I I was banking on that and that did not come to fruition at all. Yeah, I forgot you did that and now I'm I'm really questioning myself putting that out there. But Andrew Wiggins look he was great against the Lakers in their first game. Um he had twenty four points on eight of twelve shooting, three or four from three. And against the Heat, 18 points is two of seven from three. I think he was like five of 12 overall. Not as not as great of a showing, but uh, I do think there's there's reason to believe that Wiggins could be promising when when Curry and Thompson enter the fold. With that, let's um, bring back the burning question segment. And uh, today's burning question: Who was the biggest winner? of the NBA trade deadline. So, Brian, I'm going to let you go first on this one. I'm going to go with the Clippers. Uh, I'm not going to go with the Heat because I, even with those moves, I don't think they're a finals contender. But getting uh, Morris for the Clippers, I think that makes them not only a finals contender, they could possibly win the, NBA, win the title this year with that move, helping their bench out. Uh, and adding more wing depth to their roster is huge. And also, again, uh, him not going to Lakers as well. So I'm going to go with the Clippers as the winner of the deadline. Uh, so the biggest reason why I asked you to go first is because I have a 1A and 1B answer. I figured you would choose the Clippers, um, potential for the Heat. But based on our conversation, I had a feeling you would say the Clippers. And I think Clippers, you talk about teams who made moves. I think that was the biggest move in terms of uh, being able to win a championship this season because not only did the Clippers get Marcus Morris, but they kept him from their biggest rival, the Lakers. But I'm going to kind of take a more you know off-the-beaten-path answer. I'm going to say the biggest winner was the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, 
The Bucs didn't even make a move because they didn't have to. In fact, making a move would have been potentially more detrimental than gainful because of how great this team is, how deep they are, how much chemistry they have. And when you look at the rest of the season conference, the Heat added a couple guys, the Sixers added a couple guys. I don't think either of those moves made them the like over the top better than Milwaukee. No, it doesn't. It doesn't change them in terms of being able to compete with this Bucks team. The Celtics and the Raptors have been playing better than I thought. I still don't think they can compete with them. And Indiana didn't make a move themselves either. I know they got Victor Oladipo back, but I still don't think they're going to compete with Milwaukee. So to me, the Bucs are looking around. They're saying, hey, we're still easily the best team in the Eastern Conference. We still have this like amazing path to get back to the or to get to the NBA Finals finally. So and they add Marvin Williams to their roster as well true yeah they they did they did add someone you're right marvin williams threw a buyout so i think that's uh, to me milwaukee just the fact that they they still find themselves in great position they have no reason to be threatened they didn't have like the sixers last year trading for tobias harris or the raptors marcus Gasol. that was a huge trade in the end for toronto and i think that was the, the thing that, that was, put them and that over was the probably top. the best trade uh, at the deadline last season easily i mean the raptors won the championship because a, it wasn't solely because of Marcus Saul, but he no, was a, but he, he was, was a reason that helped them. He played a huge role. He played for a that role team. for them, right? So the fact that you know, I mean, are we gonna really look back and say, oh yeah, the Heat getting Andre Iguodala is why they won the Eastern Conference this year? I'm not thinking that we're gonna say that. I definitely don't think we're gonna say, oh, Glenn Robinson the third. That's that's what made the six. Oh, and the don't don't forget Alec Burks. Yeah, it's just I, to me the the Milwaukee Bucks. They're going to win the Eastern Conference. They're going to go down as one of the greatest teams ever. They're on pace to win seventy one games. It is going seventy three and nine like the Warriors did is realistic, and I think for that reason Milwaukee is the the biggest winner of the NBA trade deadline, even though they didn't make any trades by themselves. doing nothing. And I don't, I don't, so, I don't, I don't dislike that reasoning. Not yeah, not even just them are. doing nothing. It's no one else did anything super splashy that makes you really say, "Oh yeah, this team is gonna win." So, with that, let's uh, wrap up the NBA talk by uh, previewing NBA All Star Weekend. So we're not gonna spend too much time on this, but we do enjoy talking about it the past couple of years. So let's keep the um, tradition alive. Let's start with the celebrity game: Stephen A. Michael Wilbon coaching these two teams who you like in this one in the rising stars challenge no in the celebrity game sorry in the celebrity game okay i'm sorry i wasn't paying attention um <laughs> in the celebrity game god i don't i have no idea <laughs> i didn't even look so, at the rosters i'm sorry <laughs> okay so, no hey, that's that's fair um I'm, I'm excited for this one for a few reasons so number one asia wilson uh South Carolina Gamecock, a NCAA champion, and now uh, playing in the WNBA for the Las Vegas Aces, uh, number one overall pick in that draft. She's playing for Team Saving A. You also got Quavo and Chance the Rapper. Uh, so Quavo was great in last year's game. He's making his third appearance. Mark Lazary, Milwaukee Bucks co-owner. He's someone who's going to be uh, pretty solid for that team, I believe. Ronnie 2K, I don't really know how good he is. Uh, I know he played in last year's game, but he's someone who's a marketing director at 2K Sports. He's someone who's very involved in that game, so maybe he has some talent. But the biggest reason why I think Team Stephen A is going to win is because his assistant coach, 
the one and only Guy Fieri. And I'm a. You think he's going to give a great speech or or give him? I don't know what he's going to give him a great meal if they they get the win. He's going to put him over the edge. That's all I know. So I'm taking trash can nachos if they win the game. Dude, oh, those are so good. (laughs) So, (laughs) Uh, and one thing I do find kind of funny is uh, so Team Stephen A has Darius Miles. Team Wilbon has Quentin Richardson. They're both uh, from Chicago. They're actually drafted in the first round together by the Clippers in 2000. And I love how the Wikipedia description, like for their background, is NBA legend. The idea that Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson, I mean, I feel like half the people listening to this don't even know who they are, and we're calling them NBA legends. Yeah, I don't don't know too much about either of them. To be honest. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, they, they actually, you know, were decent at times in their career, but uh, call them legends seems a lot, um, little, feel like they could have a uh, bigger names, but you know, we'll see. I'm sure they'll be the two best players on the court, or at least, you know, two of the three with Asia Wilson up there. I, so. I, I really, oh, and Chelsea Gray, I, WNBA even, player for Even Team with the while. rosters in front of me, I, I can't even give you a, a great opinion on which team's <laughs> going to win. I mean, yeah, Asia Wilson and I, Chelsea Gray are pretty good. I'm rooting for Team Stephen A. I'll say that. So I'll just go with Team Wilbon then. Okay. Nice nice little rivalry. So Rising Stars Challenge. Uh, Team World has actually won three out of the last four since they switched to this format. I think the big, big thing is uh, Luka Doncic versus Trey Young. And uh, who you got in this one? Uh, I'm going to go with the the world side with Luke, like you said Luca really? Don- yeah I'm gonna go with Luca okay. and DeAndre Ayton uh, along with R J Barrett and uh, and then Mo Wagner as well uh, Michigan uh, legend and and Brandon Clark is pretty good as well I'm gonna go with the world side okay well I- I'm taking Team USA in this one I know that. Uh, you know, Luca is better than Trey Young, but Team USA has Zion and John Morant going in this one. So I'm really excited to see them. Kendrick Nunn has been, and Tyler Hero, they both been really solid for the Heat. Uh, those are two guys that kind of came out of nowhere. They're a big reason why Miami is has been doing as well as they have this season. So I, I think Team USA is going to get the better of Team World this year. So the skills challenge, Jason Tatum, the defending champion, is he going to win it again? I'm gonna go with yes, just because I'm a hundred percent biased, and yeah, that's fair. That that is that's my guy, and I'm gonna go with him. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is gonna take this one, and it's gonna be a, a big uh, slap in the face to Kyrie Irving because it'll it'll prove that Spencer Dinwiddie is the the most skilled player on the Brooklyn Nets team, and, and, and he now, should be the the point guard of the future. And for that reason, I'm I'm now kind of rooting for a backup. Now I'm gonna. Root for <laughs> if Tatum does not win, I will root for Dinwiddie alone. Dinwiddie over Tatum in the final. All right, and I'll so. go vice versa. I think you picked Tatum last year, and I didn't. Tatum <laughs> won, so. I, I hope I did, and I, I hope yeah, hope I can repeat if that was the case. Three point contest. Who you got in this one? I think Joe Harris, the defending champ, is going again. I'm gonna go with I'll go with Lillard. He is on fire right now, and I hope yeah. that can. That momentum can carry into the three-point contest. So I'm going to go with Lillard. He's been great. Um, I'm going to say Davis Bertans wins this and just uh, leaves Danny Ainge questioning why he didn't trade for him. Ah, oh, that's a good one too. 
So finally, the slam dunk contest. So Pat Connaughton, Aaron Gordon, Dwight Howard making his triumph for return, and Derek Jones Jr. Who you like in this one? I'm gonna go with Aaron Gordon and a guy who should have won when he faced off with Zach Levine uh, several years back. And I'm gonna say he beats Dwight Howard, who you can make a case has ruined the dunk contest uh, for all these years. Uh, I'm gonna go with that i don't know if that's an upset i don't think so but give me aaron gordon over dwight howard in the finals all right so i'm gonna uh read this piece from espn's the undefeated this was january 16th 2020 by martenzi johnson Uh, i'm just gonna read the intro of this before giving my pick eric bledsoe was skeptical the then phoenix suns guard was preparing for a 2017 preseason game against the visiting portland trailblazers when he read a scouting report that noted how defenders would need to keep an eye on a little known shooting guard by the name of pat Connaughton. Connaughton, he was told was athletic but bledsoe who was traded to the milwaukee box a month later didn't pay the note much mind 40 seconds into the second quarter of the game, the two teams were stacked together in a straight line during an inbounds play, with Bledsoe and Connaughton holding up the rear. As Trailblazers guard Evan Turner received the ball from the referee, Connaughton took off toward the basket. With Bledsoe reacting a half second too late, Turner lobbed the ball to Connaughton, who corralled it for a two-handed alley-oop over Bledsoe. The skeptic was now a believer. From then on, I kind of knew Bledsoe told the undefeated, this white boy got bounce. So, Pat Connaughton, he's got bounce. Eric Bledsoe will be the first to tell you. That being said, Dwight Howard is probably going to do some fake dunk wearing a Superman cape, and all the judges are going to give him a, a 50 every single time just as a uh, Dwight Howard back in the dunk contest again. He's going to win it. So I won't be happy about it. I would love to see Connaughton win. Aaron Gordon would be cool to see him win too after that uh, tough loss to Zach Levine a few years back. But Dwight Howard is going to win. So finally, the game itself. Team LeBron versus Team Giannis. Basically, it looks like the East versus the West. Team LeBron has uh, Jason Tatum and um, Demonis Sabonis and Ben Simmons, while Team Giannis has uh, two Jazz guys, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, along with Brandon Ingram. Who you got in this one? I'm gonna go with Team LeBron. I don't think uh, I don't I don't think Giannis drafted the the greatest team ever uh no i I mean lebron has all the experience with not only the all-star game but he has experience with his own teams as being a good gm uh and look at the starters he's got he's already has he has davis Kawhi, luca and harden that's his starting lineup oh that is that's gross i'm gonna go with team lebron and maybe a blowout yeah, I mean the West is better than the East. I, I'm obviously rooting for Team Giannis, but uh, I mean if I'm I'm picking on bias, I think Team LeBron is going to win. So we'll see. I'm uh I'm fairly excited for All Star Weekend. It's uh, usually fun. I I generally enjoy Friday and Saturday night more than the game itself on Sunday night. I agree as so, well. I mean the 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 All Star game is really just a show and and just a high scoring affair way too high scoring affair because yeah they don't play defense but yeah friday and saturday saturday is really the what i'd look forward to the most on all-star weekend yeah we'll see if we're talking about the national anthem again this year after the uh two years ago with with fergie's performance 
So one, one can only hope that it, it's not like that again. All right, so now let's, um, so trivia. Um, I actually have a, a trivia question for you about NBA All-Star Weekend. You, Brian, as well as the listeners, do you have a question? I do not, no. Okay, well, I technically have two, so I think that works out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Here's the first one. Who won the first NBA slam dunk contest in 1984? Mm, do you... Dominique Wilkins? No, that is a pretty good guess. I'll give you a hint in that his son actually competed a couple of years ago. Glenn Robinson? No. Because <laughs> Glenn Robinson the yeah. third. <laughs> um, no, so it was... His son competed a couple... Because I, kn- I know he won a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, he wore his jersey. His son competed a couple of years ago. Ugh. Uh, I I don't know. With with that hint, I don't know. Um, does the team give it away? Play for the Suns? I don't think so. The the person who won. The person who won. The person who won. Okay. Um. One more guess. I, I'm not gonna say Charles Barkley. <laughs> uh, so not no, I, Barkley. I'm not. I give up. Yeah. Larry Nance. Oh, Larry I'm, Nance yeah. Senior won the right. first Larry, NBA slam dunk contest. His Larry son Nance Jr. Wore, did compete, right? Yeah, years ago, right. yeah. He like wore his dad's jersey for right. a dunk. I think he did the same dunk. It was like two years ago. So, yep. Larry Nance Senior. He won the first slam dunk contest in Denver, which was the site of the original 1976 ABA slam dunk contest, which later inspired the NBA's version. In the final round. Of the 1984 dunk contest, Nance defeated the winner of that 1976 ABA slam dunk contest. Who was the player he defeated? And I'll give you one hint right off the bat. He is a Hall of Famer. Who is famous for dunking. I mean, I mean, is Dominique Wilkins the, the right choice? It's not Dominique oh, okay. Wilkins, no. It's <laughs> Dr. J, Julius Irving. Dr. J, Julius Irving for the New York Nets. He defeated David Thompson in the final of that ABA slam That's correct. Is, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, you got it. All right. Yep. So I got there the loser. Go. Glad you got I didn't that get one. the winner. No, I, I mean, I think that was the easier one. That was the easier fair. one, be, given that so. he's a Hall of Famer. And right, famous. All right. Me. Yep. So let's, uh, let's finish off our NBA talk and move on to football. The XFL making its uh, return for the, the first time in nearly 20 years, XFL 2020 is underway. And week one was actually a pretty good success for the league. Um, the games drew an average of about 3.3 million viewers. And three of the four contests actually had more viewers than any college basketball or NBA game that took place that week. So, Brian, I mean, we were talking about this a little before. Neither of us intently watched, but we did watch some of the games. I'm not going to lie. I really didn't watch too much. I watched a few minutes, and that was it. And then I saw – I caught Which up. game? I don't even remember the teams. I really don't. I did see the that nice trick play, though. It was uh, Cardell Jones who yep. had that nice trick play. Uh, I was it the D, I think it was the DC Defenders. DC Defenders. Yeah, yeah. I think it yeah, was Carlo Jones. I think it was that them. game that I saw a few minutes of, and that was it. Yeah. So, Cardell Jones is actually pretty impressive this weekend. Um, he definitely made some great plays. Where you just kind of like, yeah, this guy had some talent, and he had enough uh, kind of 
bad ones that made you realize, okay, maybe he really isn't an NFL player. But I, he's going to be an exciting player to watch in this league. There are, there are a lot of guys that are, are recognizable names playing in this league. And I know last year the AAF was exciting the first couple weeks, and it, it dropped off pretty dramatically to the point where they didn't even finish the season. But I think the NFL is a lot more prepared. The AAF felt a little rushed. The XFL said from the beginning, 2020, we need a little bit of time to get this thing going, make it work. And I think they're really going to make this work, at least for this season. And I, I think there's reason to believe that there could be enough excitement to keep it going in the future. So do you have a team? I, I do not. I mean, no. yeah. the Houston Roughneck sounds like a cool name, but I do not have a team at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, one week, and I don't, I don't know if I'll ever have a team or if I'll ever get too interested, but yeah, at the moment, I don't really have a team right now. I have fully committed to the Dallas Renegades, and I did that uh, because of former Steelers quarterback Landry Jones. He was the initial player to sign in that league. And there's a, an ESPN article by Brendan Meyer basically detailing Landry Jones and his path to uh, being the, the face of the XFL, if you will. Uh, he was someone who was cut by the Steelers before the 2018 season in favor of um, Josh Dobbs and Mason Rudolph as backup quarterbacks. And Jones struggled to make his way on a roster. He... He wound up playing for the, the Jaguars for three weeks, um, but he, of course, didn't get into the game. He was just on the roster and uh, had an opportunity with the Oakland Raiders in the falling offseason, but didn't didn't last past May. So I think it was a, a very frustrating path that he went down. He actually was working in construction for about a month, uh, but finally he decided to you know just give his love of football another shot in this XFL. And he didn't get to play as week one. He was hurt. And the Renegades were pretty terrible on offense with Philip Nelson as quarterback. I don't know if I have no idea who he is. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you. Nope. nope. But I'm excited to see what Jones can do. Ideally playing this week. He was uh, he was a healthy, but well, not healthy. He was a number three quarterback because he wasn't healthy. But he was, I guess, the point where he could have gone in really if it got disastrous. Uh, so my expectation is that he's going to play in week two. I'm excited to see what he can do. And uh, I think it'd be cool for him to get another shot at playing in the big leagues. And I think from there, it's like, what is the XFL going to become? Are they going to become a developmental league? I mean, we saw guys from the AAF make NFL rosters or at least, you know, get plenty of uh, opportunities during the spring or during uh, the, the summer as uh, part of, you know, offseason practice squad. From so, from the looks of think, it and the the interest that was drawn this weekend, it seems like it'll be more promising than the AAF. It then it should probably last at least a year. I don't know how much longer, but it should be more promising than what the AAF offered. Yeah, I think it's it's too early to to jump to that conclusion as to where it'll be beyond this after just one week. But I, I think it was exciting. Uh, you know, they they didn't have too many gimmicks, but there definitely were a few things. So the kickoff. I was I was just about to ask, did you like the that, kickoff? I I do. I now I totally understand why the NFL was uh, doing what they did for kickoffs, trying to make them safer because the kickoff was inherently like that. That was the play that led to the most traumatic brain injuries and i think that you want to do whatever you can to avoid that from happening 
but I like the XFL, what they did, having the team, the kicking team, line up at the 35-yard line, say you're not allowed to do anything until the guy catches the ball, but you're making the kickoff a thing. You're making it so that these guys actually can, uh, you know, make a return and make something happen and keep the excitement without creating unnecessary injury risk. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the new kickoff yeah, I'm, that I'm the f- XFL I'm, is debuting. From what I saw, I'm a fan of it. I'm, I'm not saying that the NFL should do the exact same thing, but with the, with the injuries that have happened in the past from kickoffs and just seeing just seeing something new from the kickoff as well, I'm, I'm fine with it. So beyond kickoffs, the league is trying to speed up games, which I think they did a really good job of, but they're also looking to slow down games inside the final two minutes of the half, basically uh, trying to keep games lasting longer, you know, keep games closer and make it so that teams, if they can't just run the clock out, uh, as easily you have to actually move the ball pick up first downs to beat a team and the way they're doing that is inside two minutes any stoppage in play really results in stopping the game clock so tackled over the middle of the field game clock stops and it doesn't start again until five seconds to run off the play clock and there's only a 25 second play clock so i think pat mcafee who is uh doing the broadcast uh, on the sideline i would love to see him uh, doing more ESPN football broadcasts Monday Night in the Football, fall. possibly. Absolutely, absolutely. McAfee for Monday Night Football, um, but it would be, it would be. Uh, it, he said that it would take um, one minute and twelve seconds. That's how much time would need to be on the clock for you to realistically be able to run out the rest of the game clock when the other team is out of timeouts. So I do really uh, like that idea that instead of just you know inside two minutes, you just need it a couple down. times and then the, that's yeah, up. and the game's over. It's I, I like that they're they're making it so they you, you got to make it a challenge to actually end the game or the half if it's both halves. That's correct, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Both halves. So that was um that was something that came into play for the DC defenders because uh, another rule was if you don't kick the ball uh, past the 20 yard line it's basically treated as a kick out of bounds so just a way to make sure that kickoffs actually happen and it happened for seattle right at the end of the half and dc uh when touchbacks normally would start at the 35 yard line you get an extra 20 yards and all of a sudden you start on the 45 of your opponent so dc started with only 30 seconds left but they're right outside field goal range and the next thing you know their kicker is making a 55 yard field goal to end the half so I think that's that's a, another exciting rule. So I think the XFL is they're doing a good job from what I'm seeing to this point. I think they're they're doing a lot to to keep fans interested and the fact that this league existed 20 years ago and uh, whether you were around and like watching it then or just like watching videos and like hearing all these stories and stuff and uh, I think that it's something that gets fans excited. Uh, not as much WWE as you would it was last time which is probably a good thing looking at all these rules uh that i've seen from from what you've said and from uh things i've seen on sports center it it looks pretty cool the one i don't want any of these to be in the nfl but they do look neat but one thing i would like from the xfl into the nfl is the quicker replays where if it's oh yeah if it's if it's not blatantly obvious just move on but if it is, then you can make the change. And, and just... I also like that they show you 
the like oh yeah that's another thing. that's another thing where you can you have the they they show you and they have you have the full audio and everything i like that right, like i like that cool system way more in that in the xfl than the nfl yeah, like how cool would it be if the NFL like showed Al River on uh, toss a coin every time there was a pass interference <laughs> or you know break down his reasoning for uh, liking one team better than the other before uh, given his replay. I I, I would be in favor of seeing that. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's probably why it'll never happen for the NFL. But yeah, the XFL, it's transparency. It's huge. Uh, one last thing that I, I just thought about. So for conversions, there's no such thing as an extra point. You either get one point by going for it from the two-yard line, two from the five, three from the ten. Mm -hmm. And teams are still going for one point from the two-yard line, which is the same thing as a two-point conversion in the NFL. It makes no sense why you wouldn't go for two or three every single time just because the value is so much better. Uh, but, you know, these coaches are being conservative, and you, you had a lot of times where teams weren't uh, executing on the PAT because of that. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see where coaches go from here, but uh, it does does seem like analytics are going to play a factor. And I don't think that the NFL would go to that kind of extreme, but uh, it is something from an analytics perspective maybe the NFL will start to think about more. So uh, I, I think I'm, I'm excited to see where the XFL goes from here. I'm excited to see where the Renegades go. Uh, they were, uh, I believe, actually the preseason favorite. To, to win it all um, I think them and the DC defenders are looking like the two two best teams to this point assuming that Dallas gets healthy quarterback play out of Landry Jones so uh, very I'll, I'll go very I'll, much intrigued I'll, yeah now that you mentioned it like do I have a team I mean I might as well go with the DC defenders because you got a quarterback yeah. in Landry Jones I'll take the other Jones and Cardell take, Jones yeah Cardell and with the DC defenders and another thing I, I was actually I did like Cardell Jones a lot and in college I mean I know he wasn't his reasoning for certain topics like going to school weren't exactly <laughs> we ain't here to play I, school. I thought I thought he was hysterical that and I don't know if you remember when he was playing uh Madden with this kid in the children's hospital where oh he, yeah he, sh he showed they showed him like winning by like six touchdowns and then he's like yeah. no that's not true I was winning by seven or eight and I thought yeah. I thought Cardell yeah. I liked I liked him a lot and at Ohio State, I thought he was—I uh, thought he was a good player. He seems and I like thought, a personality, the personality, yeah, yeah. the combination he's fit of both. For the XFL, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I feel like he's the kind of guy where if he really shows up in the XFL, it's only a matter of time before he gets back in the league. There were talk. So. There were talks of him being a after his three game stretch, uh, in his I, his not last year but second to last season, where yeah. he won the the being. national championship. There were talks about him going in the first round. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and then he went to the fourth round or, and with the Bills, and now he's in the XFL. Yep. So yep. that that so. that by default, that is my uh, team now. All right, all right. So DC Defenders, Dallas Renegades. We're going to go ahead and say that will be your XFL championship, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you in late April. All right. So let's uh, wrap things up with um, just one question. We'll call it our closing thoughts. It's not not five questions this week. But this was kind of inspired by Ben. He's not here, but you know, of course, uh, Ben's a huge 49ers fan. You know, last week he, he had to talk about his team losing the Super Bowl in pretty heartbreaking fashion. Uh, so 
Our question that uh, Brian and I are going to answer is, what sports loss from one of your teams hit you the hardest? So I, I think Ben said, you know, his one, one and two were his two 49ers Super Bowl losses. I'm sure we would get the same answer from him if he was here. But the two of us can kind of go on our own. And while we've had a lot of great glory from our teams, there's definitely been a ton of heartbreak. So, Brian, I'll let you start off with maybe some honorable mentions before uh, giving your, your hardest loss. Uh, for my honorable mentions, I will go with, before I get to my number one choice, uh, I'll go with like a top like three kind of, uh, so for my honorable mentions, you just want to do a top five? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Um, I have three at the top of my head that are, that stand out as the most heartbreaking one. Uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, the Patriots and Eagles were in the Super Bowl. I think everyone. Yeah. That. And I just hate how that game played out. Well, not just because they lost, but just the way they lost. Having Malcolm Butler not play the entire game and losing to a backup quarterback, and and also at the the final drive when they were down thirty eight to thirty three on the Brady fumble, he had James White wide open, and they could have driven down the field and eventually score to win the game. And so many things in that game, they they just played out terribly, and it could have one thing. That if, if one thing could have gone their way, one more thing could have gone their way, I think the Patriots could have still won that game. So that's one heartbreaking honorable mention. Another was last season, or last year, with the Bruins in Game 7 versus the Blues. One game away from the Stanley Cup. Uh, with that, I mean, the Bruins are looking great, great right now with being number one in points um, this season, even with all those overtime losses. Uh but after, I just remember the aftermath thinking, man, I, I don't know if Bergeron, Krejci, Chara, Martian, and so on, with how, with given all their ages, especially Chara being like 41, 42 years old, I don't know if they can get back again. I, it looks like they could, but that might have been their opportunity, so their one opportunity. So I'm not sure how I feel about that right now. Maybe that'll change if they can win the Cup this year, but right now. I mean, they're, they're doing really good this yeah. year. But I still worry but about Tampa. NHL, I still, the playoffs right. are so crazy. It's so it's again, yeah, it's so crazy with and they could lose to Washington, Tampa, or someone in the West. And so I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. But number one for sure, uh, was Super Bowl forty two when the Patriots lost to the Giants, being eighteen and zero. I remember at the time th- when I was th- this was when I was in middle school and I didn't I had no idea what losing was because the Patriots had three Super Bowl wins. The Red Sox had two World Series championships, and the Celtics that season had KG, Ray, and Paul, and they were on their way to win a title, which they ended up winning. <laughs> the Patriots were 18 and I had no idea what losing meant at that point. And then all of a sudden, they couldn't tackle Eli, and he throws it to Ty- uh, David Tyree, and then Plaxico catches that game winning touchdown, and they lose. Not only like the first Super Bowl of my lifetime, but they lose it in the fashion that they that they did, not losing a single game until when it mattered most. Uh, that that was a, a very joyful day for literally the rest of the country, except yes, where except can, where I I'm, except Patriots fans and anyone else in uh our, in my area or in our our area where we lived. So yeah, I mean number one for me is that. <laughs> I, I would think that's the, the hardest loss uh, for most, if not all, Patriots fans, and really Boston sports fans in general. Because, uh, like you said, the, 
you know the 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 Red Sox and the Celtics they don't they haven't won every year but they they haven't had the kind of heartbreaking loss. Yeah, the is. the Celtics loss in Game Seven to the Lakers was, yeah, it, it sucked. And if they had Perkins healthy for that game, maybe they would have won. I don't know, but I don't know. It wasn't compared to the yeah. other ones. It's not as bad. Yeah, so I, I'll I'll go through with mine. Um, so I think first off, I'm gonna get two uh, really early sports losses out of the way because when you're a kid, sports losses. Uh, when you're you're just uh, become a big sports fan, you're not used to anything really. Um, they hurt. And the first one, so the Steelers 2004 AFC Championship game, lose to the Patriots, get blown out by the Patriots, uh, 41-27 with the Steelers scoring late to even make it that close. <laughs> that was literally the that Super was, Bowl. <laughs> like those were the two best teams that year. And yeah, I mean the Eagles are pretty. Steelers good, but 15 and one, 15 and one and, versus uh, 14 to get too. destroyed. Like that was a game that made me hate the Patriots. Uh, you know, I, I, after that, like but going into it, I, I was I was happy it was Steelers Patriots, and after that, I was like, no, I hate those guys. Like. I understand why my dad hated him, and uh, you know from there that's it haven't changed. So that was one, um, and then another one. So North Carolina Tar Heels in 2007. So they won the national championship the first year I was a fan of them in 2005, 2006. They they were a three seed. They lost to George Mason in the second round. Still kind of early enough. I, I didn't really take that one very hard. But in 2007, North Carolina, I believe they were a one seed. They faced Georgetown in the Elite Eight. And I remember they lose in overtime, and Georgetown just kind of routed them in overtime. I don't know if it was 12-0 in the period, but Georgetown won the overtime game by 12 points. And I just remember the whole time it's going down. I like as soon as I realized North Carolina was going to lose, I just you know, went ran upstairs to my room to started crying in my bedroom because uh, North Carolina wasn't going to go to the Final Four. They weren't going to win the national championship, and that was that was a really tough one for me. Um, I that I that hurt, hit me harder than the Villanova loss. Even because I saw that coming, I was way too naive to know anything about how sports really work and how college basketball worked at that time. So that's why that one hit me the hardest for um, for North Carolina. And uh, beyond that, you know, the Steelers losing the Super Bowl to the Packers was was really a tough one, just because you know the, the team fell behind and then. 21-3 was almost before 28-3 because that was a halftime score. Just to you know, have Ben Rossberger get the ball down six points, a chance to to drive down the field and win it. He literally did it to the Packers the year before. Uh, it just kind of felt like he was going to, and then to just throw you know, four straight incompletions was just like a huge shock. Um, and for the Celtics, I think uh, the loss that hit me harder uh, than the losing to the Lakers in the NBA Finals was actually losing two years later to the Heat yep. in the Eastern Conference That's Finals. That's the one, yeah. yeah. That'd be the yep. most... Uh, it might sound silly, but that one was more heartbreaking to me than versus the Lakers because... It just felt like that was it. Yeah. That was it for the big three. I agree. Um, well, I think at that point, was Ray Allen already Ray on Al- No, Ray too? Allen went the, the, uh, the next The season. next year yeah. he went to Miami? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just felt like that was the end. And to be up three games to two, playing at home in game six, and to just get destroyed by Miami. It's n- and I hated mostly LeBron. Heat, which LeBron. made that even worse. Yeah, mostly that, LeBron, that was- right? But I, you know, with the whole decision thing, I hated that team. And, like, the fact that the Celtics were that close to knocking them off, going to the NBA Finals, uh, was just, it was heartbreaking. And that, that was that was hard, just the culmination of those two games. And, you know, game seven, they it was relatively close, um, and it, they just weren't able to pull it out. I think that, that was that was really hard. 
And, you know, while the Celtics have uh, somewhat redeemed themselves since then, they've, they've gotten better. Uh, they've survived the the, the post-Big um, 3 era, thanks to that the trade that uh, sent Brooklyn Pierce trade. and Garnett to the Nets. But they haven't been able to, you know, they had that one one year with the against the Cavs in 2018 where they came super close, and uh, last year really felt pretty deflating, and I don't really know what to make <laughs> Did of Did you say super, super close in 2018? Game 7, yeah, game... Oh no! Seven, oh, twenty eight. Uh, I was thinking. I was thinking the year yeah. before where they just got no. blown out by by no. Cleveland in like five games. They were, they, they were like losing games by like forty points. Uh, this is when yeah. they had Isaiah. You're talking yes. about the, oh, you're no, talking about the that next was, year, right? When they lost yes. the games, yep, right? Game year. seven. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, the, those were all all pretty hard to hit, take. But the hardest loss I've ever taken, it was extremely hard at the time, and it's gotten blown out of proportion since then was the Pirates losing to the Cubs in the 2015 and a wild card game uh, Jake Arrieta just came out and dominated them uh, shut out nine innings zero runs allowed the Cubs scored four runs and you know, the Pirates had a couple opportunities uh, selling Marte bases loaded one out screaming line drive that should have been a you know two or three run double. Instead, it uh, was uh, snagged by Addison Russell, turned into a double play, and with that, basically ended any hope the Pirates had of winning the game. You know, for that team to win 98 games, you know, after losing the wild card game the year before, after you know putting up a hard fought series against the Cardinals in the NLDS in 2013, it was just crushing for this uh, this team that was so good. You know, arguably the second best team in baseball. I think by record rise they were it, the Cardinals just happened to be a game or two better than them and of course since then the pirates have been mediocre at best and terrible at worst and i don't know how soon it'll be for them to get back to the playoffs and i i think uh, for me that was just really hard at the time and uh, hindsight is it's not gotten any better yeah see at the in the moment super bowl 42 was the worst for me but at least afterwards they have won three more super bowls since the bruins though i don't know if if like this this year might be their last shot with with the core players that they got because if they don't win it this year, I, I don't even know how long it'll be for them like to win another cup. Like it might be another five or ten years or so on. And like last season in Game Seven, that I felt like their shot. So I'm I might change my opinion on that. Even though Super Bowl Forty Two is with being eighteen and zero is feels like the clear number one. And also factoring in age, like. Super Bowl 42, I was in middle school, but for the Bruins game seven loss, that was literally last year where uh, I'm like a lot older and uh, understand understand the sports more. So Yeah, and I, I think that plays a role in this as well because it's it you take losses harder as a kid and when you take it hard as an adult and you know it's really and you bad. know it's really painful. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. Well uh that that will wrap up today's episode. So for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone.